You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. My whole sermon today could just be stories from last week. We could just go through story after story after story. But instead of telling more stories, we need to ask a question. Remember the famous Super Bowl commercial from years ago? It plays a lot where at the end of the game, uh, they ask the winning MVP this question. Now that you've won the Super Bowl, what's next? And they always have some crazy thing. Well, it's always the same thing. I'm going to Disney World, right? Well, here's the question for us today. Whether you've just made a decision to follow Jesus, or even if you've been a disciple 50 years, my question for you is, what's next? This question, going to Disney World, this, (laughs) there's always one, there's always one. This question, really though, what's next, is the focus of today. And here's why. We've discovered that there is always a next step when you walk with Jesus. And that's something we say around here a lot. And we don't say that because it's just a cute phrase. We say that because it's true. Whether you're new to the faith, you've just come home to Christ, or whether you've been a disciple for most of your life, there's always a next step in your journey with Jesus. So today our focus is on understanding the early days of the New Testament church so that we can answer with confidence the question, what's next? Because they had the very same question. Now, as you know, we've been in this series called Saved by the Bell for the last four weeks. Today is week five. And it's been an incredible series, no doubt about it. I've loved it. And we've been looking at high school subjects through the lens of Scripture. And today I've got some good news, I've got some bad news. The bad news is, pop quiz, and the good news is I'm grading on a curve, so you're going to probably do okay, all right, unless you miss them all. Some of you are like freaking out, like, oh no, I knew it was going to be a test. And some of you are like, bring it on, pastor, let's go, let's go. All right, so here we go. Remember week one, we took a deep dive into history, or as we twisted it, his story. And we talked about something called, big word, meta-narrative. Remember that word? Meta is the Greek word for beyond. It means beyond, overarching is what it means. In other words, what's the story beyond the story? What's the bigger story that God is telling us through Scripture? And so here's the question from that week, question number one of your pop quiz. Are you ready? All right, the meta-narrative of biblical history is, and there's four things that we identified, Pastor Dustin identified, as the four areas of biblical history that are the meta-narrative. Now, I've given you the first letter as a way of just giving you a little clue. The first one is creation. Very good, class. Very good, creation. Following creation, something happens to the human race called the fall. There we go. You're You're on to something now. And the last two can get a little tricky, but one precedes the other. And the next overarching theme that we see in the scriptures is the theme of redemption. Exactly right, redemption, followed by complete restoration. 
This group right here, you guys are doing fantastic. I can hear you. Fantastic. A, A, A for you. Stars for all of you guys. This is the big picture behind everything that God has done in history and is currently doing throughout the whole world. These four categories encompass everything that God has done throughout all of history and what he is currently doing in the world right now. In fact, I'm going to take it a step further. This also is the bigger story of your life. You were created by God. You have fallen into sin, which leads to death. God has provided for you redemption through Jesus Christ. And God is in the process of bringing full restoration to those who choose to follow him. So this meta-narrative is the story of your life. And so you see, it's true. His story tells your story in a very real way. On week two, we tackled the issue of science and religion. Here's the question, pop quiz. Faith in God is compatible with science, true or false? Faith in God is compatible with science, true or false? The answer is true. I love this quote from American astrophysicist and Nobel Prize winner, Joseph Taylor. He says, a scientific discovery is also a religious discovery. There is no conflict, he says, between science and religion. Our knowledge of God is made larger with every discovery we make about our world. I think that is so good. You know, you should know that many of the most renowned scientists in the world, across all disciplines, have a strong faith in God. You won't hear that in some places, but the fact is, that's true. In week three, we tackled, uh, we had a guest speaker, and he tackled uh, the idea of uh, God's economy, looking, through, looking at God's economy through the lens of Scripture. And so the pop question, pop quiz question, <laughs> pop quiz question for you with that is this, true or false? Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. True or false? Every financial decision is a spiritual decision. True or false? The answer is true. All you have to do is look at your check register or look at where you spend your money and you will see exactly who or what you worship. And that's a spiritual decision. All you have to do is open up your check register, see where you spend, and what those things go for predominantly is usually the thing that's most important in your life. It is a spiritual decision. Jesus said it like this, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Okay, so that's the end of the test. How did we do? Anybody ace the test? I don't see very many hands. All right, so what that means is remediation for most all of you which means go back and watch the videos from the last three weeks. Now, last week, man, we talked about last week. It was homecoming week. Not a classroom subject, but an invitation from our Heavenly Father to come back home and have a party. And there was a party in heaven last week, and no doubt about that. A lot of people made the best decision of their life last week. But that brings us to today, doesn't it? So today is the last week of the series, and let's talk about one of the last things that happens during the school year. Senior skip day? Yes, but we're not talking about that. <laughs> Graduation? <laughs> What's one of the last things that happens during the school year? You receive, at the end of the year, a yearbook, right? 
Everybody gets a yearbook. Fun fact, fun fact. If you play Jeopardy, maybe this will come in handy someday. The first college yearbook was published in 1806. The first high school yearbook came along in 1846. That means nothing. I just thought you might be interested in it. How many people here own a yearbook? Just about every hand, right? I own a couple of them. I was going to bring them, but here's the problem. I'm not really in any of them. <laughs> I was going to like show you pictures. There, I, No, I'm not. That's actually not true. I'm in, I'm in my middle school yearbook. I found that one. I'm in one picture, and it's the stage band picture. I'm on the fourth row in the back, um, and I'm just barely like this, looking around. You would not know it's me. It's not even worth showing. I would have to circle the picture for you to see me. So I'm like, I'm not going to even bring my yearbooks. There's no need to show them. But most of us have a yearbook. They have great memories for us, for sure. More importantly, the book of Acts in the New Testament is the yearbook of the early church. The book of Acts in the New Testament is the yearbook of the early church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. 28 chapters is what it is. Chapters, chapters of history covering the, roughly the first 62 years of the early church. It goes from day one all the way through the Apostle Paul arriving in Rome as a prisoner in chains for preaching about Jesus. All the significant dates of the early church, the dates, the times, the places, the names, they're all right there in the book of Acts. It's also not only a history book, it's a reference book, helping us to see the impact of the early church, the impact that they made on their community, and really and we're going to get to this in a moment, the staggering numbers of people who came to faith in Jesus. And finally, the book of Acts, when you think about it as a yearbook, it's a memory book, allowing us to peer back in time to get a glimpse of what God did and how God did it in the early church. And so, and and really, it's an opportunity to see how the gospel turned the world literally upside down. Now, when you read the book of Acts, One thing is immediately obvious, and it's the growth, the staggering growth of the early church. From day one, the church grew numerically exponentially. How do we know this? Well, it's recorded for us. Acts chapter 1, in verse 15, we read that there were about 120 people who were followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, about 120 And within just a few years, when you start adding up the numbers, it's clear that the church has grown to over 100,000 people. Now, this is incredible, especially when you realize the population of Jerusalem at this time is estimated to only be about 250,000. Think about this for just a moment. This means nearly half of the city of Jerusalem at this time had come to Christ. And I think this helps us understand and really to appreciate the words of Acts chapter 5, verse 28. It's where the high priest and some religious leaders, the Sanhedrin actually, are upset with the apostles. And here's what they say. We gave you strict, (laughs) strict orders. They said, do not teach in this name. Which name? Name of Jesus. Yet, it says, you have what? Filled Jerusalem with your teaching. We're talking about what's happening in the city of Jerusalem up until the first five chapters of Acts. Typically, each chapter is a year up to a certain point. So within five years, they have filled Jerusalem with their teaching. I hope one day 
people look at Journey Christian Church, and they say, you have filled a popka with your teaching about Jesus. Wouldn't that be a great legacy to leave, right? So let's take a look at Acts, the yearbook of the New Testament, and see what it says about how the early church grew. Let's go to, let's go to, let's, we're just going to go through a few verses here. On day one, we read this. Those who embraced his message, the message of Peter, were baptized. And about how many? 3,000 were added to the believers that day. On the very first day of the church, they went from 120 to Acts chapter 2, it says 3,000. In other words, they became a megachurch on day one. Look at verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily, daily, those who were being saved. Every day, new people were coming to Jesus, and the church was just growing and growing and growing. Chapter 4, verse 4, many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Now, that's the number of men. Anytime you have 5,000 men, you've got about 5,000 women, and then you also have a bunch of kids. So scholars estimated that by this time, by chapter 4, they're up to 12 to 15,000 people already in the church in Jerusalem. Again, chapter 5, verse 14. And increasingly, believers in the Lord, large numbers of men. Now they can't even count them. It's just large numbers of men and women were being added to their number. There's so many now that they're just coming from everywhere. The rapid growth continues. And then we get to Acts chapter 21, verse 20, and we read this. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed? Now, the Greek word here for thousands, that word thousands, is, the, is a word that can be translated myriads, meaning tens of tens of thousands. And we could go on throughout the book of Acts. I've just given you a sampling of verses. We could go on and on with dozens of verses in Acts that say the very same thing about the growth of the church. Bottom line, the church was and still is the greatest force for change on the planet. The church is the greatest force for life change on this planet. It always has been. So what exactly was it about this early church that attracted so many? I mean, we were reading these verses. All these people are coming. What is it that's attracting these people? How, and also, how are they taking care of the spiritual needs of all these new believers? Because every one of these people are brand new followers of Jesus. How are they caring for all these people? Well, it's no mystery. The yearbook of Acts tells us exactly what was happening. Acts chapter 2. Here's what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These four activities defined the early church. Daily gatherings to hear the apostles' teaching. They did not have the scriptures like we have the scriptures now. They relied on the apostles' who were teaching what they knew about Jesus. And so the apostles' teaching, the practice of fellowship, that's the second thing they do. Think, when I say fellowship, when we read fellowship here, think small groups. Think house to house. It also says the breaking of bread, 
That's the Lord's Supper, which we practice here. And then, of course, prayer. And it goes on to say, everyone was filled with awe with the, uh, at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need every day. How often? Every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And the Lord added daily to the number of those who were being saved. That's the early church. I mean, this is the perfect picture of the church doing what the church does best. It's what it is. This is what Jesus had in mind when he said, love God, love people, and serve the world. It was this right here. And there's a whole lot we could say about the character of, the, of Christian fellowship based on this passage. But I love what Annie Ortberg says in her book. She has a book called Up With Worship. She says, Christians can be grouped into two categories. Marbles, <laughs> this is my marble collection, by the way from middle school, marbles <laughs> and grapes. She said some people are like marbles. When they come together, they collide with others. They collide, and then they just ricochet off in all different directions. And then other people are more like grapes. When they connect with one another, they mix and they mingle in an authentic way and sometimes even a messy way. And what she says is the early church, not like marbles. Imagine if I just dumped this out right here. They'd go everywhere, right? She said the early church wasn't like that. They weren't just scattered around everywhere, doing their own thing, bouncing off of one another independently. No, they were more like a cluster of grapes that were held closely to the vine, and they mixed and they mingled in such a way that even when they were squeezed with persecution, what resulted was something very sweet and good. And I think that's a good way to think about our role as believers. Are we marbles, ricocheting everywhere, not making any connections, or are we more like grapes? I think that's a good way to think about it. One thing the early church understood is this, that real fellowship doesn't just happen by accident. Nobody just drifts into it. You don't accidentally stumble into a life of deep community and real fellowship. You have to choose it. Oh, it's possible, but you have to choose it. Which is why, I think, the Apostle Paul continually reminds us throughout all of his letters in the New Testament. So all the books that follow Acts, most of them are written by Paul. And just a sampling of what he says about this early church's practice of fellowship. He says, be devoted to one another. He says, honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded toward one another. Accept one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interest of others. Bear one another's burden. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. That's just a sampling of different verses all throughout the New Testament. These aren't, by the way, suggestions. It's not as though Paul said, hey, I got a great idea. Some things I think that will make your life 
better. Do these. No, these are, in fact, commands. They're, and, and they're a mirror, by the way, of exactly how Jesus loved his 12 and how he loves us. And this is the purpose of the church, these things that Paul mentions, is to model the love and the grace of Jesus to one another. You know, Jesus even said, love one another as I have loved you. So this was a key component, I think, in the rapid growth of the early church. Wouldn't you want to be a part of a community who treats each other like that? That's the point. When people are treated well, like what Paul mentions here throughout the New Testament, it's attractional. You want to be a part of that because we all want to experience relationships that are like that. Here's my point. If the modern church abandons the spiritual disciplines of the early church, think about this. If the modern church abandons the spiritual disciplines of the early church, then we should not expect the same results as the early church. Amen? Amen. We're called to live out these commands in community daily, daily with one another. And if we choose not to, then we have to ask ourselves, are we really modeling the early New Testament church. I want you to notice in Acts chapter 5, verse 42. So in Acts chapter 5, we're like five years into the history of the church. And I want you to notice when and where the early church gathered. When and where the early church gathered. Day after day, (laughs) that's when. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. First, I want you to notice when, and it was day after day, they were continually worshiping. But where were they worshiping? Notice that first they met in the temple courts, it says. What is that? The temple courts. Well, it's not the temple itself. It's the temple courts, plural. Not the temple. No one was really allowed to worship in the temple except the high priest. You couldn't go in there except from time to time. But the temple courts located around the temple could easily hold thousands upon thousands of people. That's where the early church first met for worship. They didn't have chairs like this. They all stood outside in porticos and in, in places where they could stand together and listen to the apostles teach about Jesus. So early on, they're meeting in various locations around the temple, multi-site already, right? But also notice this, and this is huge, This is really the point of the message today. They weren't only meeting every day in the temple, which is great, but it also says they were meeting from house to house, from house to house. They had a dual strategy, large group gatherings at the temple courts to attract the community, and then small group meetings to care for one another throughout the week. It's brilliant. That's what they were doing. Do you know that this is also the strategy of journey? This is what we practice here. Large group gatherings on Sundays, on weekends, which is by design to be attractive to the community. And then small groups that meet throughout the week for deeper fellowship, deeper community. Scripture is clear. People who are in small groups grow deeper, faster than those who are not. I'm going to say that again. People who are in small groups grow spiritually deeper 
and faster than those who are not. You see, somebody said it like this. What we sow in rows, farmer analogy, what we sow in rows, which is what this is, rows of people, we sow teaching and truth. What we sow in rows, we reap, we gather in circles. What we sow in rows, we reap in circles. Circles are small. It's when you circle up. It's when you go deep. It's when you have a question and you want to have a discussion, which is really not appropriate in a setting like this. So where do you have that discussion? It happens from house to house, and it happens in small groups. Let me tell you about my life group. I have a life group. There's 12 of us. And um, we've been meeting for five years, as I mentioned earlier. One of our, our, our members, is, her name's Jean, Jean Grice, and um, she always hosts our life group at her house. That's the place we go. She lives in downtown Apopka. We love it. We all go there, and, and that's where we go. She's got, she, that's her gift, is hosting. She loves to do it. And um, we eat together, of course. That's what they did in the New Testament as well. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, it says. Uh, we study the Bible. We study Scripture. Uh, we talk about how our lives are going, what's good, what's bad, how the week's been. Um, we pray for one another, for sure. Uh, We've helped each other out financially when needed. We celebrate family milestones. Um, we've been out to eat together. We've had Christmas parties together. We've gone to movie nights together. We've volunteered here at Journey on serve days and other events together. And at any moment, any one of us in the group can text or call, and someone from our group will be there to offer support, encouragement, and lend a hand. And when you structure a small group like that, people want to be a part of it because everybody needs community. Everybody wants community. Everybody craves community. You were created for community. Just the way it is. The kind of friendships that are transforming, I think, are built from house to house. So if you feel frustrated, and I hear this from time to time, if you feel frustrated that you're not being known, like you feel like you're not known at church or, or that others don't know you, I would say consider getting into a small group because there you will be known and you will know others. Let me state the obvious conclusion from what we've read here in Acts, but it does need to be stated. If you worship on Sundays, that's awesome, amazing, that's great. Temple courts, baby. But if that's all you do, you're missing one half of the blessings of being part of the body of Christ because they met in temple courts and from house to house. There's beauty and benefit in that. So let's talk, let's get really practical for the next few minutes. Let's talk about how to get into a life group here at Journey. I'm gonna move kind of quick through this. It's super, it's as easy as it could possibly be. All you need to do is go to journeychristian.com groups. There's a screenshot there on this for you. And click on the link that says, I want to find a group. You click on that. You'll be taken to a list of all the groups that are open, because some of them are closed because they're full, but all the groups that are open and available to join. Look through the list and find the one that you're interested in. Click it. And when you do, you'll put in some information, and the group leader will reach out to you with all of the details. It doesn't get any easier than that. That's all you have to do. 
And you might say, well, that's great. That's a life group. Okay, cool. What about if I wanted to be in a rooted group? What's the process? It's the same process, exactly the same way. Go to the groups page, click on the rooted logo, follow the prompts, and you'll get registered for rooted. Some of you are like, what is rooted? I've never heard of it. Well, rooted is the best next step you can take at journey to right after you've been baptized. And that means there's a lot of us here that are in this position. In fact, if you were baptized this year at Journey, you'll be receiving an email this week from Pastor Randy Green inviting you to sign up for Rooted. You might say, I've already been through Rooted. What should I do next? Well, join a life group. It's the best place at Journey to find community. It really is. At any church, it's the best place to find community. If you're looking for friendships, prayer, opportunities, Bible studies, want to ask questions, find a life group today. That is the place where that takes place. You might ask yourself, well, what kinds of groups? What are all the different kinds of groups that Journey offers? Life groups, rooted groups, and support groups. Let's talk about support groups because support groups are one of the more popular groups that we have here. Support groups are focused on specific topics that lend help to those going through life challenges. We have five of them. Grief share for those who have lost loved ones and looking for help and support through the grieving process. Divorce care is another one for those who need strength and support through divorce care. Single and parenting to share tips and parenting wisdom that will help you find rest and hope and encouragement. Journey to Christian recovery is another one. Amen. Um, It's a group that offers support and encouragement and hope for anyone seeking to, to overcome addiction or codependency. And finally, Uh, We have one called Alzheimer and Dementia Support Group, and it's for caregivers and family members and friends providing care to people living with Alzheimer's and dementia-related illnesses. All the dates, times, and places and information is on our website. And last but not least, you might ask yourself, how do I lead a group? Well, that's a great question. Leading a group may be where God is calling you to serve here at Journey, Leadership is a privilege, and so we would love to have a conversation with you about that. How do we start that conversation? You go to the same website, and where it says find a group, right next to that, it says I want to lead a group. You click that and follow the prompts, and somebody will be in touch with you to talk about what's involved in leading a group. Journey's group semester begins next Sunday, September the 10th, but sign-ups are happening even as we speak. Today is the perfect day to stop by in the atrium. You'll see on the way out, there's a couple booths there that have all of our groups. If you have questions, you want to talk to somebody about that, they're there to give you all the information to help you get connected to a small group. Let me conclude with this. A couple years ago, my wife and I, Sandy, we uh, were out in California. We had the opportunity to see those giant redwood trees. You've seen them before? I know you've seen pictures of them for sure. They're hundreds of feet tall and so large that it takes eight or 10 people with their arms stretched out to go all the way around the circumference of the base of the tree. You would think that a tree that big, giant tree like that must have a massive root system, but you'd be wrong because compared to the other trees, the redwoods don't really have many roots and they don't go very deep. But those trees have stood for centuries through all kinds of storms because the roots of the trees are interwoven with each other. They've stood against many storms because they're literally holding each other up. If Journey Christian Church is to be a place where needs are met, like we see them being met in the early church, then we must have a web of relationships like those redwoods 
where our lives are interwoven, intertwined, and reinforced by one another against the storms of life. And the best place for that to happen, my friends, is in a small group. And I pray, my prayer today is that you will consider joining a small group. It'll be one of the best things you've ever done for your spiritual life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love, your grace, and your presence in our lives. And it's good for us to see the early church and how they were structured and to know that you have made provision for deeper community for our lives. Give us the courage. Give us the courage to choose it, to seek it out, to make it happen, to do the hard work of knowing others, sacrificing ourselves, and serving one another as you've called us to. It's not easy, but the blessings are massive. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for this yearbook of Acts where we can just really see how you structured the church and and how we're supposed to be and live and function and serve as followers of Jesus. Give us the courage to do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Jordy Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Jordy Christian Church, please go to jordychristian.com.